0: Hey, good morning. good morning. You know, for those of you that don't know me, my name's Steve, and to all your moms out there, happy Mother's Day. And uh, I have a special announcement. I wasn't expecting them to be here, but we have a, let's like a first and a last, uh, a a first time married couple, like, attending here, like Lydia and Garrett, uh, Dick, <laughs> were married last weekend, and they are back here, uh, and then they leave. Um, so, so I married him and they're like enough we 're switching churches and leaving the state so um, but it 's great to have you guys here. Congratulations, and uh, yeah, congratulations, and you can wish them well and pray for them as they like, start off on their new uh, journey together it 's pretty exciting, pretty exciting so it 's good to good to see you guys this morning. Um, well, we are studying, as, as Jake said, in First Samuel 16. And, you know, and, and I've said this over and over again, but for anybody, the book of First Samuel is a, is a book that really chronicles the rise of the monarchy of Israel. And what we've seen is that the people of God and, and the nation of Israel like, made terrible decisions for themselves as far as what kind of king they want and, and what the kind of king that they wanted. And, and and um, but the, the story isn't there for us, for us to look down on them because I think it's true for all of us It's like we often like choose the wrong thing and the wrong people and the wrong like. Uh, places to place our hope and the nation of Israel did they they put their hope in a guy by the name of King Saul he had everything going for him he was tall he was handsome he got things done like we saw over the last few chapters that he got things done but he ended up being a tragic disappointment for the nation of Israel um, because of one like fatal flaws that he simply didn't worship God he didn't give God like the credit that he was due. He didn't submit himself to God, and instead lived as if he was sovereign, lived as if uh, as if the people that were entrusted to him like belonged to him instead of belonging to the Lord. and And his religion was one of convenience. It was one of external expressions of worship to God that he would ho- that he hoped would secure God's favor, improve his image, and move his own agenda forward. You know, last week we saw that as he just continued to do that again and again and again, that God finally rejected him as king and was going to replace him, in God's word, with someone better. You know, the story of the kings of Israel is important for us. This isn't just ancient history. It's important for us because they're meant to illustrate for us like something that's true that we see all throughout the scriptures is that all of us have this decision to make of what kind of king that we're going to choose to follow. You know, the scriptures tell us that all of us are born under sin, that we're born in, in this, this kingdom of this world and under the prince of the power of the air. Like we're all born into one kingdom, and our destiny is tied to that kingdom, and it's one that sits under the shadow of death. In fact, Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 17, he says this He says, if For if by the transgression of the one, He's talking about Adam there, that all of us who are descended from Adam are born into this kingdom that's one of transgression. Death reigned through the one. And much more of those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is that all of us are descended from Adam and we all, all, all are under this reign of disobedience and under the sentence of death, but... There's the obedience of Jesus Christ and everything he accomplished for us for the Father that that promises something else, that promises life. And he goes on. So then, through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so, through the the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous you know so each of us has each of us has that decision to face it you know ultimately whether or not we're going to come to faith in Jesus Christ and and leave the being a descendant of Adam and come and become a child of God and experience life in him and daily we, we need to make that decision like which king are we going to choose to follow? which king are we going to trust? Can we trust that God in his in his infinite wisdom and through his word is like sufficient to guide us, or are we going to like take matters into their, our own hands and try to find something that makes sense to us that that will ultimately kind of lead us into this position of death one moment Jen this is one of these is buzzing up here it 's kind of I already have enough voices in my head. (laughs) I might just shut it off. I think it's this one, maybe? No? Maybe it's the bass amp. All right. I will try to, you know, of all the things that distract me, like, that I'm able to push past, the buzzing is, like, one of those ones. Like, Rachel knows, like, when there's even a little rattle in a car, it just drives me crazy. So, like, I can take craziness, but, like, little rattles and stuff, like, so, uh, it's not gone. Oh, just, I think it is the bass amp. All right. Sorry. I'm sorry, but, uh. <laughs> I have a hard enough time keeping track of my, my own thoughts. Perfect. Thank you. Can you guys not hear that? So, yeah. Was that you again? Two weeks in a row? All right. Yeah, sorry. I have uh, I a little squirrel. Um But that's the decision we're all faced with. Every single day, we're faced with what, who are we going to really trust to provide us that thing that we long for in life? Are we going to trust kind of our own perspective and how we see things, are we going to trust God's perspective? Is, is God trustworthy to, to follow? In fact, this chapter, what we're going to find is we're going to be introduced to the person who's going to replace King Saul. And what we, when we're introduced to him, we're, we're going to see the kind of king that God desires for us, the kind of king that's in accordance with God's heart for us, um, uh, like show himself, as opposed to the kind of king that we choose for ourselves, one that just keeps us in that same cycle of death. Our text is going to break out into three main sections this morning. It's in verses 1 through 3. We're going to see that God doesn't leave Samuel in his grief. Samuel is in sorrow over the disobedience of Saul and what that means for his people, and God's faithful to not leave his people there. We're going to see that God chooses and anoints his king in verses 4 through 13. And the kind of king that God has for us, God's anointed king, serves us and delivers in verses 14 through 23. So please stand as we read the text together. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3, and then I'll pray, and then we'll get into the study of our text together. Actually, I'm going to start reading at verse, verse 34 of chapter 15, just so we can get a little bit of context here. It says, Then Samuel went to Ramah, but Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, for Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. But Samuel said, how can I go? When Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And you shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word. And I thank you that you're a God who delivers us from the kingdom of darkness, who transfers us into the kingdom of your beloved son, and who ultimately sets us free to live um, under the blessing of your rule. So, Father, I just ask that we would... See Jesus Christ, um, that we would trust him more, um, and that we would follow him because of the time we invest here this morning. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know as we get started here uh, our first point this morning is that God doesn't leave Samuel in his grief. You know I read back in verse uh, chapter 15 because you saw that Samuel was grieving over the fact that Saul had been rejected as as a king over Israel and Samuel's grief was was like good and appropriate because God had said back in chapter 12 if and he, he says in chapter 12 verse 15 if you will not listen to the voice of the Lord but rebel against the command of the Lord then the hand Hand of the lord will be against you as it was against your fathers so samuel knew that by choosing this king that walked in disobedience to the lord and by this king leading them in disobedience to the lord that they had put themselves in a situation where where god may very well be acting against them and for the, instead of for them and so samuel was like deeply grieved because if if god were to abandon his people like all hope would be lost and yet God doesn't ever abandon his people. In fact, in that same passage in, in verse 22, Samuel comforts the people of Israel when they were feeling overwhelmed by their sin. And he says this, he says, For the Lord will not abandon his people on, an, on account of his great name, because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. And you know, apparently Samuel needed to be reminded of some things. And I think we need to sometimes be reminded of some things because Samuel was like distressed over what had happened in the past. In fact, it's interesting tenses. Why do you continue to grieve present tense because I have rejected him past tense? Like why are you grieving Samuel over these things that I've done in the past? And while Samuel's grief was appropriate, we even see see God have this sense of regret. Like, it's not not appropriate to stay there forever or as you stay there to lose sight of what God is intending to do. And what God tells Samuel is like, Samuel, like, it's time for you to stop grieving over my decision to reject Saul because I'm going to do something better. I'm not going to leave you in your grief. I'm going to bring a king. What what does he say there in verse... in verse at the end of verse 1 he says fill your horn with oil and go i will send you to Jesse the bethlehemite for i have selected a king for myself from among his own sons he's like this is the king that i want for my people this is the king that's in accordance with my heart for my people this is the king that that will do what i desire to have done for my people, so it's so your grief, Samuel, can come to an end because I am bringing in another king for myself, a king that i 'm going to choose, a king that a king that is in accordance with my heart, you know I think as, as in, in times of grief we I, I know this has been true for me, like I can just get stuck there in the in what's happened. I can get stuck there in the past, and I, I have a hard time, like, lifting my eyes up and seeing that God is still wanting to do something in the future. The past failures, our past sorrows, our past, like, um, problems, like, don't define, like, what God wants to do in the future, and Samuel was stuck. Samuel was stuck just in that place, and God's like, no, 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 Samuel, it's time for you to, like, do something new, something new. I'm going to provide you a king that's going to do what you've always wanted. You know, Psalm 30 tells us that weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. You know, God's message to Samuel is like, Samuel, let's go. It's time for it's time for something new. And then Samuel's like, <laughs> and this is a great. Well, how can I go do that? Like, because if Saul hears it, he's going to kill me. Like. We don't want to lose the tension in these verses because, like any story of a rise and a fall of a dynasty and of a monarchy, like there's treachery, there's power, there's all of the worst of humanity at at stake. And and you see something about Saul's character because Samuel knows, hey, uh, Saul and I kind of had a falling out. If you don't remember last chapter, when I was the one that delivered him the message that God rejected you, and he remember he tore my clothes and he was begging me and I like. If you weren't here last week, you can go back and listen to it. Um, and Samuel knows hey, if Saul finds out, Samuel's the kingmaker, if Saul finds out that he's going to go anoint a king, both Samuel's at risk and whoever he anoints is at risk because Saul is not a guy who wants to give up his power. And so Samuel's afraid. So God tells him, he says, like, take a heifer with you, take a young, like, cow, and, and go and make a sacrifice for me. And it's the same thing. It's a peace offering. It's the same sacrifice that they had made when he anointed King Saul as king. So God's saying to him, do the same thing, but take a heifer with you. And Samuel, like, who operated like a priest, that would be a normal thing. Even though it was outside of his normal kind of circuit that he traveled, uh, God kind of gave him, gave him two things with that. One, it gave him access to Jesse's family because when you offered the sacrifice, like there would be this, you, could, you would often invite people to the sacrifice and to the feast that would come after it. And so it gave him an opportunity to engage the house of Jesse. It gave him an opportunity to praise God as he offered up the sacrifice. And it also gave him a little bit of cover for his journey because it was a treacherous thing that he was about to do. He was about to go anoint King Saul's replacement. You know, and so what we find out is that he arrives, um, is that he leaves in verse 4. And this brings us to our second point this morning, that God chooses and anoints a king. And let me just read. He says, so Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, do you come in peace? And he said, in peace, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he also consecrated Jesse and his sons, and he invited them to the sacrifice. So as, as Samuel, he's traveling outside of his normal circuit. And Samuel, this is the other treacherous thing about what Samuel's about to do, is he's, he's probably the biggest celebrity of the day. He just had, like, hewed King Agag to pieces. We saw that last week. He just, um, he was famous in the land, and he had been famous for years. And so as he's approaching the city of Bethlehem, they hear, like, oh, Samuel's coming. And it says they go out to meet him, and they're, they're trembling, and they're fearful. And they're like, hey, do you come in peace? Now, it doesn't explicitly tell us what they're afraid of, like, um, there's all sorts of different opinions about it, but my, kind of my sense is, is that it must be tied together with Samuel's own fear from the verse before. Samuel's afraid um, up above, like, hey, Saul's going to kill me. And I think, I think probably the people of Bethlehem knew that Samuel had a falling out with King Saul, that Samuel was the one who had this kind of imposing presence of, of a person, and he was also the one who anointed the king, the first king of Israel. And there was probably some fear either of Samuel as a just individual, but probably I would suspect it's tied in with you know, the, the verses before, that they're a little bit of fearful of what it might mean that Samuel, who's like persona non grata in, in Saul's eyes, actually shows up in their town. And, Saul, and Samuel says, hey, it's in peace. I'm going to offer a sacrifice. So consecrate yourselves. And what that means simply is that they would go and they would wash, they would clean themselves up, they would, they would put on their best, their best clothing, and they would come to this party that Samuel's about to throw after this, after this feast. And it says that he's paid special attention to Jesse's house. He says it to, he, he, he uh, consecrated Jesse and his sons, verse 5, and invited them to the sacrifice. And so then the, the scene shifts where we're at the sacrifice and at this dinner, and in verse 6, this is what happens. It says then it came about when they entered that he looked at Eliab and thought surely the Lord's anointed is before him but the Lord said to Samuel do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him for God sees not as man sees for man looks at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are these all the children? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, and behold, he is tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So, what happens then as Jesse brings his son in is that, is, that, uh, is that every single son that came to this feast is, is like turned away by the Lord. Like the Lord tells Samuel, No, that's not the one, 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 not the one, not the one. seven times. Over and over again, he's like, nope, strike one, strike two, strike three, strike four. Until all of the sons that came to the feast are there. And Samuel's like, what's going on? Like, is this all of your boys? And and he's like, no, I've got one more. He's out watching the sheep. And Samuel says to come and bring him. But there's some interesting things that happens here. It's really interesting. Uh, In verse... In verse 6, like, Eliab is kind of singled out in a unique way because it says over and over again that the Lord has not chosen this one to all the other sons, but he says something stronger about Eliab. He says, no, he's not the one because the Lord has rejected him. You guys see that there in verse 6? Verse 7, the Lord says, don't look at the height of his stature or or, or at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. It's a stronger statement than he uses towards all the other brothers. And I think God's trying to make a point here. Because we heard that the, the height of his stature and his appearance in application applied to somebody else earlier in this book. Do you guys remember who it was? Saul. King Saul. The exact same thing was said of Saul. He was taller than everybody else. He was better looking than everybody else, right? They were like, man, that's, that's a good king to have. But then God rejected him. And, this, and so it's like Samuel, Samuel's like, like all of us, is a little bit slow on the uptake. Here's another guy just like Saul. He's tall, he's dark, he's handsome, right? He seems to have everything going for him. He's the firstborn. And Samuel's like, surely this is the guy. And he's about to get his, he's about to get his uh, oil out to anoint him. And God says, no, stop. Like, I reject him. It's like God saying this, like, no, 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 no. no. We are not doing that again, right? Like, we've done that once before. It didn't turn out for us. We're not going to do it again. And, and one commentator says that Eliab was rejected in effigy of King Saul. Like, he's, he's like this illustration reminding us that outward appearance and in, in our perspective of what we need as a king will, almost, will, will always lead us astray don't look at his outward appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. And then he goes on. For God sees, not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, that's probably the, the most famous verse in all of First Samuel, I would guess that, that uh, man looks at outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And we often apply that personally. And we, we make this application to ourselves personally of like, of like so because God really sees my heart, I should like stop being so worried about my outward appearance and putting on a good face and making sure I look good when I come to church and everybody thinks I'm a good like moral person because God is not so easily fooled. You know, and that's, that's true. That's absolutely true. That that God sees where we are really at, and He's not duped um, by all of the like religious, kind of like social, and all of those things we do to make ourselves look good. He's not duped. In fact, Hannah in her opening prayer in First Samuel chapter two, when she when she was praising God, one of the things she said was um, something like. Do not boast so arrogantly, because God is a God of knowledge. Like, God sees. And he's not duped by all the things that you can dupe your friends with. Right? God sees your heart. And that's how we usually apply it. And I don't think it's a bad application. Like, that's a, that's a, that's a true thing. But that's, the story isn't about our personal devotion to the Lord. It's not about, like, my like authenticity of my relationship to the Lord. It's about choosing a king. And what he's saying is don't choose the king that you think you want, Samuel. Because your perspective, because God sees differently than you see. You look at all of the outward stuff, but the Lord really knows. The Lord knows your heart, the heart of the king. And he knows what you really need, not you. Don't look at the outward appearance, because God sees, not as man sees. God's perspective on what kind of king we need is completely different than our perspective. And so when, when God's saying that to Samuel, he's like, Samuel, like, if you haven't figured it out yet, you do a terrible job of choosing a king. You, you, You look to the wrong things for hope. You look to the wrong things for identity. You look to the wrong things for, for, like, what's going to bring meaning to your life, for deliverance. You have no idea what you want. But I do, because I have a different perspective. I see like you don't see. And I think it's important for us to, like, think that one through, because... The, the question being, like, can we trust God enough that his word and his king and, and, and living under the rule of Jesus in every area of our life is really what we need? Or are we going to trust what we see and what everybody tells us all around us and what kind of king we want? In fact, we find out a little bit about this king as he's introduced to us, this coming king, um, over in verse, uh, starting at verse 12. So when we find out there's another son, verse 12, so he sent and brought him this, this youngest son. Now he was ruddy. Some of your translations say reddish. Uh, it's such a weird word. It, it means that he had like good color, good complexion. Um, Probably, like, he's just coming in from the outside. He's got a tan, right? He's just been to, like, vacation. Well, just the opposite. But um, it's kind of a weird thing to identify. Um, Oh, yeah. He He was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. It's such an interesting thing that happens. Like I hope you notice that the first time they were introduced to, the, to what the name of this person was, was right here. All along, it's like the writer has been like uh, avoiding using his name. And in fact, like when God sent Samuel to go to Jesse's house, like um this is the first time in the book of 1st Samuel where God just wasn't super clear with Samuel. He says, "Go to Samuel's house and I'm going to tell you what to do uh when you get there." He could have just said, "Go find David, he's out with the sheep, anoint him and we'll be done with it, right?" But he had this whole thing going on because he wanted to teach he wanted to teach Samuel And the people of Israel and us something about the kind of king that he chooses. You know, so what kind of king is that? Well, for one, we're not told David's name until the very moment when something else happens in the story. The important anointing in the story isn't the anointing with oil. It's in verse 14. It says, the spirit of God came mightily upon. And here's the first occurrence of his name in the Bible. David. Like, the thing that made David significant, that made his name worth remembering, was the fact that God's Spirit came upon him mightily. Like, now we know. And it says that God's Spirit came upon him mightily from that day forward. There's like this hope that, and, and this expectation that God's Spirit doesn't depart from David. He's, upon, he's on him from that day forward. Like God was going to do something uniquely through this person because he's the one upon whom his spirit came upon. That's what made the difference. The spirit of God came upon him mightily. You know, the other things we find out about him is that every other thing like that the world would look for in, in the ancient world um, was kind of going against him. For one, he shows up at the party. He's the only guy that didn't have a time to take a shower. He's coming in straight from the sheep. So he's coming in like dirty and sweaty, like coming in from work in the barns, right, to the party. He doesn't look like much. His face is all red. He, 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 uh, he's the youngest. He's the one with the least social power. He's the one that apparently was so insignificant they didn't even bother to invite him. David has nothing that Eliab had he is completely unexpected and yet what he does have is he has the spirit of god mightily upon him and that makes all the difference yeah, so here's here's the question for us like there's, there's a surprising choice of king that that doesn't check any box You know, it's a surprising choice of king that really doesn't make sense from the ancient world's perspective of why you would choose that guy. In fact, he's called a boy. He's not even a man yet. He's called a boy. He's just a shepherd. Why would you choose him? You know, I think that that speaks to that struggle that we have in like, what are we really going to believe and what are we really going to follow? Are we going to trust God's choice of king for us? Or are we going to just trust ourselves and trust our choices that always lead us astray? The ones that don't make sense to us. The ones that like everybody around us would say was were, were, are stupid things to believe and trust in and do. You know, whether it's, you know, for your students, you're going to school and everybody has like this set of values that they bring that they claim will will make them happy and content and fulfilled. If you just like do whatever, and then God says something else, like, no, if you follow Jesus, you'll experience life, or, you know, those of you that are, like, working and saving and being diligent and trying to, trying to, and you and you're, you get deceived into thinking that your identity and your purpose and your hope and your security will be found in your job and in your success and in your, right, the approval of others, is that really going to... Is that really going to deliver what it hopes to deliver? King Saul was a tragic disappointment. And yet this one that we don't even know anything about really, except he was a shepherd and his name is David. And he has God's spirit upon him. You know, every single day we're faced with that decision of, of who we are going to follow and and what kind of king we really need. And that's what the third point brings us. Like the, there's something interesting that happens in this text, starting at verse 14. Um, verses 14 through the end of chapter, are out of chronological sequence. Like, uh, uh, and you will you'll, you can see that as I go on. So what the, what the biblical author did is he took kind of like the circumstance that happened throughout the next, like I don't know how long, period of David's relationship with King Saul and imported him to this very moment where David was anointed by the Spirit of God um, to make a point. And that happens all the time in the Bible. Like Bible authors, even when they're doing a historic book like this, are less concerned about their chronology um, than they are about their theology. So oftentimes biblical authors will take events that are out out of uh, chronological sequence, and that's the point about them so they can compare and contrast the two individuals. And that's exactly what the author does here. And I'll start reading in verse 14 that the kind of king we want is the kind of king that serves and delivers. I'll start reading actually at verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord from Saul... And an evil spirit of the Lord terrorized him. And Saul's servants then said to him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God is terrorizing you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you. Let them seek a man who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall come about that when the evil spirit from God is on you, that he shall play the harp with his hand and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the young men answered and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is a skillful musician, a mighty man of valor, a warrior, one prudent in speech, and a handsome man, and the Lord is with him. So right there, verse 18, the author tips his hand. Like, this is out of chronological sequence because we just found out that David was like a boy. And here, and he's just a shepherd, and here we, we have David described as a warrior, a mighty man of valor. He's brave, he's, he's, and, the, and that God is with him. It's really important that God is with him. So the author bringing is this, bringing this in to make a point here, and he's contrasting Saul with David. I, I, that's why I started reading at verse 13. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David. And the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And then something else happened. It says that the New American Standard reads, an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. I think the ESV says, a harmful spirit from the Lord. It's, a, it's really kind of a linguistic problem. As I've done all the reading on it, it's really kind of a linguistic problem. And um, and what it's talking about is that is a spirit that causes distress. Like God sent a spirit uh, upon King Saul that caused him distress. It's not so much evil in the moral sense of the word, but distress as in the, like the effect that it has. God, God sent a spirit of distress upon Saul that terrorized him. The, the word really means to bring like extreme incapacitating fear. You might wonder, like, wow, like why would God do something like that? Here's the reality. People of Israel rejected God, rejected his rule over them. And so God gave them what? King Saul, who was a person who would not lead them in righteousness, who would not do what, what God accomplished, who would actually kind of lead them into a place where they were walking in disobedience to teach them something. And upon King, King Saul, uh, on one hand, says like basically told God, I don't want you to rule over me. I don't want to submit to you. I want to rule on my own. And so King Saul, like, gave, I mean, God gave King Saul exactly when he wanted. It. If you want to experience what life is like apart from uh, the rule of Jesus Christ, it is, it is ultimately, at the end of the day, it is distress and terror. And it's a fearful thing when God gives us what we think we want. Like, Saul wanted independence from God. That's exactly what God gave him. And so the spirit would come upon him and incapacitate him in fear. And as you will see it, as we go through the book of first Samuel, we'll see it actually, we'll see a couple episodes. So what we discover as you go through the book, I think there's one in chapter, I think in chapter 18, there's one in chapter 19, I think where Saul would have these episodic like fits where the spirit would come upon him and terrorize him. And it seemed to create in him like this spirit of paranoia that led him to do all sorts of rash things. We'll see that in the future, but like the Saul's counselors were, were uh, like pretty wise and they were able to identify like this seems to be like something from, from God and and they were and they came up with this plan. Like it seems, Saul, that when you're in this like rage and in this terror, that when you hear music, like it helps calm you down. Right? So so why don't we find you a skillful Musician, like God's working circumstances here to do like something that's somewhat unthinkable to bring David right into King Saul's presence. Which don't like don't detach yourself from the danger that's been leading up to this point. If Saul finds out that David's the anointed, the one who's going to be anointed as king, or is anointed as king by by the power of the Spirit of God, like probably good things aren't going to happen for David. But what happens is that is that, uh, I love this, you know, like, uh, verse 17. So Saul said to his servants, provide, provide for me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Like, bring me a minstrel, right? Like, um, I don't know. just sounds fun. So n- nobody laughed at that. Like, come on. This is church. Somebody laughing. Um, so Saul says, "Bring him, a, bring me a minstrel, right?" And and there's somebody there who knows about David. He's like, "Wait, wait, wait! I already got the guy. I've got there's this son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, uh, who's who's a mighty man of valour. He's a warrior. He's a man prudent in speech. He's handsome, and the Lord is with him. That's the critical part to that statement. The Lord is with this guy. We should bring him." Verse 19, so Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send to me your son, David, who is with the flock. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread and a jug of wine and a young goat and sent them to Saul by David, his son. Then David came to Saul and attended him and Saul loved him greatly and he became his armor bearer. Like, think about that for a moment. So Saul asked for David to come and David comes and David serves King Saul. He attends to him. The very guy that would kill him, if he knew. And he serves him with such a, like genuineness that it says Saul loved him. Like there's this genuine affection between Saul and David, because of like David's like attendance and service of him. And it goes on. Oh, yeah, and then to the point where Saul even armor, uh, honors him as being his armor bearer. So now David is with Saul all the time. Like he goes wherever he goes, carrying his like weapons. Which is, a, which is a difficult place to be when that guy would kill you if he knew like, what God was actually doing through you. And it continues. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David now stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. I'm going to include him in my like, inner counsel. So it came about, whenever this, the evil spirit from God came to Saul, David would take the harp and play it with his hand, and Saul would be refreshed and be well, and the evil spirit would depart from him. So the, the author of 1 Samuel is wanting to contrast the kings that we choose with the kings that God's chosen, the one that's anointed by the Spirit of God, the one whose God's presence is with. And, and what does David do? David serves, like, really his enemy? David, David, there's there's three words there at the end, um, at the end of sixteen that like, David refreshes him, David provides wellness to him, and David delivers him. Like, and it just shows like the character of David and what God was doing through him, and the kind of king that we need. We need a king who serves us, who refreshes us who brings wellness to us and who delivers us from the terror of like our, our greatest enemy. That's the, the one upon whom God's spirit came to rest forever. You know, but David, you guys, if you guys know the story of David, David, David is far from perfect and, and David ultimately doesn't bring in what God has for his people. And in fact, David just becomes a sign point pointing us forward to someone else. In fact, uh, I have these verses up up on the screen. Luke three twenty one. Je- Jesus went to go get baptized, like anointed with water. Now, when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying heaven was opened and the holy spirit descended upon him bodily in bodily form like a dove and a voice came out of heaven you are my beloved son in you i am well pleased Think about that for a moment Jesus the descendant of David the one who like the one who really doesn't fit any of our boxes in fact when he came like nobody really understood what was going on with him But his his ministry started when the Spirit of God came upon him. And it it wasn't like Samuel that was anointing him here. It was God himself declaring, you're the one. You're the true son who's going to reign. It's on you my full pleasure rests. It's Jesus who's the king that we need. You know, and then uh, then you go over to the next chapter, Luke chapter 4. That was kind of when G- the, Jesus appeared like at his baptism. And then what we find out in Luke chapter 4 is that his next public appearance um, was this. He goes into a synagogue and it says that the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he, Jesus, opened the book and found the place where it is written. Here it is. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So what does Jesus claim here? Jesus claims that he's the one that has the spirit of God right he's the one that that preaches the good news of redemption to poor to the poor He's the one that that gives sight to the blind and release to the captives and and sets free those who are oppressed and brings in the favorable year of the Lord, brings in the time of god's blessing upon the people of God, and that just brings us back to where we where we started, right. There's this contrast between the two kings, and there's this contrast between two perspectives and two ways of seeing things. We can see things like humans do, or we can see things like God does. And here at at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, just at the beginning of David's, like we didn't really know what he was going to accomplish. People, the people there didn't really know what he was going to accomplish, but God was testifying, like this is the one to follow, this is the one to trust. This is the one to believe in because anything else will lead you down that path of death and sorrow and all the opposite of what Isaiah says. So, Aaron, why don't you come up to close us? And I think the challenge before us this morning is just to, is just to wrestle with that. Some of you need to wrestle with it kind of ultimately. Like I said it earlier, in my, maybe in my introduction even, some of you need to wrestle with it ultimately. Like, what am I ultimately going to trust in? And, and what I mean by that is like, like when, we, when, when you submit to somebody as king and when you acknowledge them as Lord, you're not just like bringing Jesus along as like your, your like counselor or bringing Jesus along as like, uh, like somebody to get advice from. What it means is like you're acknowledging him as your king. You're acknowledging him as the one that has the spirit of God who brings in the year of God's favor. And you're going to follow and trust him. Or Not. But ultimately, that that question of who you're going to let rule in your heart and in your mind it matters, and and it and it matters deeply because God sees your heart. But then practically, like each of us needs to wrestle with that every single moment of every single day. Like Jesus, Jesus didn't say like pray a prayer once and then whatever you do like you're good to go. Jesus says what like you need to deny yourself daily, right? And take up your cross and follow him. Like, Jesus calls us every single day to make that decision. So, you know, wherever you're at, like, there's probably areas in your life that you're having a hard time, like, submitting them to Christ, and you're having a hard time, like, really trusting that what he says and his rule is really going to, like, be the right way to handle it. I just wanted to tell you, like, he's the one upon whom God's Spirit came to rest, he's the one that fully pleased the Father, he's the one that will bring you home. We can trust in Him, Aaron. don't you close us in? Close this prayer. That psalm song, song is taken from Isaiah 40, um, and Isaiah 40 starts this way: He says, "Comfort, O comfort my people," says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem, and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed. The, the king that's coming is going to come and remove all iniquity. And then it ends, Isaiah 40 ends with this. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous, men stumble boldly. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Let's pray, Father. Just thank you for the reality that Jesus Christ came and He and He put an end to our warfare, and He brought in forgiveness of sins, and He and He brings in the year of um, Your good favor. And Father, I just pray for each of us here that that knows You as our as our Savior, that we would fully submit to You as Lord, that we would trust You in Your the everyday guidance of the steps of our life um, when we wake up tomorrow and the next day. That that we would give You. Um, the, the honor and the glory and the trust that you're due. And, and Father, if there's anyone here who, who's never submitted to you as Lord, has never experienced the forgiveness of sins and, and life that's found in Jesus, just pray that you would draw them to yourself and that you would refresh them and bring wellness to them and deliver them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.